You can subscribe to these radio shows by way of the Substack button at truthjihad.com. Welcome to Truth Jihad Audio Video. I'm Kevin Barrett. I've been doing the, the audio version of this show since 2006, and I'm back enthusiastic about the video side of it now that I've gotten onto Rumble and can beat the shadow banning algorithms that YouTube has put up in the past several years so that we can get a fair number of people actually watching these interviews because I bring on tremendous guests, people who have more to say than just about all of the talking heads who are blubbering the same old propaganda day after day after day in the mainstream media. And I have a fantastic guest on right now. It's Dmitry Orlov. He's the author of Reinventing Collapse, The Five Stages of Collapse, and he has a great blog over at Club Orlov. I've been following his work for a long time since collapse was a major topic with the 9-11 truth movement, and his work is even more relevant than ever now with this insane war on Russia with the level of propaganda possibly exceeding the insane propaganda post 9-11. It's totally unbelievable. Um, You're lucky to be over in Russia, Dmitry. How are you? (laughs) I am lucky. Uh, Good to be with you. Yeah, boy, the uh, free speech sure uh, ain't what it used to be. We're, you know, this fighting for the liberal freedom-based order uh, in an increasingly unfree West uh, just strikes me as very paradoxically Orwellian. Well, it, it is very textbook Orwellian. Uh, you know, the people who, uh, um, who rule you uh, are not very well read, but uh, Orwell's 1984 is one of the few books that they've pretty much memorized. It seems that way. Yeah, it's like their uh, how to do it manual, a 10 step manual for <laughs> everything they're doing. Well, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the Ukraine war. The picture that we're getting here in the United States mainstream media is the most insanely one sided one since the Germans were tossing Belgian babies around on their bayonets back in World War One, I, I think. And it's we're told that uh, Russia just wants to devour poor, innocent Ukraine. Uh, it's a pure war of aggression, and and Putin is Hitler. It's Putler is is the guy we're all supposed to hate, and the, the five minutes or three minutes or whatever of hate is is going on for weeks now. Um, and the background of this story is just completely absent. The real geopolitical background and everything else. Maybe you could, uh, you know, just tell us your your feelings about that, and maybe sketch what you think the real background is. Well, first of all, I think it's uh, entirely excusable that. Uh, um, uh, the West is being um, uh, conditioned or prodded somehow uh, into um, a paroxysm of hate uh, because uh, you know your 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 leaders have spent billions of uh, dollars um, fashioning the Ukraine into an anti-Russia and basically goading it on to attack Russia, uh, to provoke a reaction. Um, And now Russia has reacted and the whole thing is just crumbling and and they're losing their investment. And and everything that they've set up in in the Ukraine is just uh, coming to naught. And, And of course they're upset about it. You know, they're pet terrorists are being destroyed in the Ukraine just like they were in Syria just like American organized ISIS uh, got destroyed in Syria. Now American organized Ukrainian Nazis are being destroyed in the Ukraine. So of course they're upset. That's perfectly explicable. And it's, 
you, you just have to start out from the point of view that the United States is evil and everything falls into place. Unfortunately, I'm afraid uh, there's something to be said for that. Although I, I would argue that the evil is not so much in the ordinary Americans or even in their culture, although there certainly are some downsides, but rather the leadership. Oh, please. Oh, please. These people have sat down and did nothing and benefited and profited while Iraq was being destroyed, while Afghanistan was occupied for years and years, while Libya was destroyed, while Belgrade was, uh, was bombed and, and Kosovo was grabbed away from Serbia under false pretenses. They sat there and they benefited from it. And just like they sat and watched as Eastern, Eastern uh, Ukraine was being bombed for eight years in what basically was a slow motion genocide. In fact, they didn't really want to know about it. That is inexcusable. Yeah, I think that's true. It's, it's the old joke about ignorance and apathy, which what's worse, ignorance or apathy? I don't know and I don't care. And unfortunately, a lot of Americans don't seem to know or care, although it does seem to me that part of the reason they don't care is because they don't know because they're systematically misinformed by a very powerful propaganda apparatus set up by their utterly evil leaders. And so these basically decent people, if you hang out with them in real normal life, are just living in a matrix of illusion in terms of what's really going on in the larger world. And I do appreciate your attempts to uh, to pierce that bubble and shed some light on things. You've had some success. There are a fair number of Americans who are moderately awake now. Uh, so the, you know, the, the level of shrillness and hysteria in the Western propaganda right now may be derived from the, as you say, the failure of the project. That is, they wouldn't need to be this hysterical and if, if they weren't losing badly and they need to completely hide it. And then they also wouldn't need to be so utterly one-sided if their argument could stand up with the other argument was also visible. So they have to keep the other side completely invisible. And it's reached the point now that, you know, it, 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 veterans today where I write, they just shut off the PayPal for the guy who's sort of the managing editor uh, and his son, who has absolutely nothing to do with the operation, just totally separate person, but he happens to be the guy's son. So now he, his PayPal is gone too. Uh, and this sort of deplatforming has been going on more and more and more. It's, it's really a kind of a terrorism against dissidents here in the U.S. Do you think I should consider maybe getting out of the country before it reaches uh, the level of concentration camps? Uh, I'm tired of telling people to get out of the country. I've been doing it for several years. You have. I got out of the country myself. A whole bunch of my friends got out of the country. Okay, get out of the country. <laughs> okay. There, I said it, Okay. Okay, I'll, uh, it, so um, let's jumping back to Ukraine. Okay, the the issue of the Nazis is everywhere, right? Uh, on the, in the Western propaganda, they're painting a little uh, Hitler mustache on Putin, and in uh, the Russian discourse, uh, we hear that the problem is the Ukro Nazis. So let, maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, what what is this Nazi connection. And what's the reality behind the, the discourse and the propaganda? Well, all you have to do is apply the duck test. Does it look like a duck, walk like a duck, and does it quack like a duck? Um, uh, and these people, do they like Hitler? Yes. Do they like, uh, do, 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 do swastikas give them a turn on? Yes. You know, um, 
do, do they uh, like killing people? Do they, do they like human sacrifice? Yes, they do. Um, are they sort of a cult, um, you know, a suicide cult at this point? Yes, certainly. Um, uh, so for, uh, and, and, and they worked for Hitler. Their, their grandparents worked for Hitler. And then after World War II, they were whisked away by the US and the Canadian governments and, and coddled and nurtured for several generations. And then when the Ukraine became independent accidentally, when the Soviet Union fell apart, they were re-injected there and were coddled and nurtured and given lots of money for 30 more years until now they're the what were the predominant political force in all of the Ukraine, basically being able to tell whoever the elected, elected uh, leader was uh, what he could or couldn't do. Uh, never mind that they're an extreme minority. Uh, they could terrorize the rest of uh, this multi-million uh, population. Um, and now they're dying. Now they're being killed. They're not being taken prisoner because they're all war criminal. So those are Nazis. Ukraine. And of course, the, the Western uh, propaganda repost is always the same, which is Ukraine has a Jewish president. And of course, he's the puppet of a Jewish oligarch. They don't mention that. Uh, so how could this be? How could there be Nazis in Ukraine if that's the case? Maybe these people haven't read uh, Mein Kampf and noticed that Mein Kampf actually talks about um, exterminating and stealing the resources from Slavs and not from Jews. But uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, he's uh, he's Jewish, but uh, he um, he went through a process. Uh, he he was really funny in Russian, which is his native language. Um, you know, he he was a talented comedian. Uh, then he got elected president on a platform of stopping hostilities and being friends with Russia and, and stopping all of this nonsense, all of this nationalist nonsense. And uh, he got um, threatened and uh, was told to behave in a certain way. So he started speaking Ukrainian, which he had to learn. Um, and in the process of uh, learning to speak Ukrainian, he got brainwashed. So now he's a, he's a sort of Jewish zombie. His brain got stolen. He's no longer funny. Um, he, he seems to be on drugs most of the time. I don't know how they keep him sedated because this is not a, a normal thing to do to a person. And he says all kinds of belligerent things like he wants to build dirty nukes and throw them at Russia. You know, that was his big plan. He, he just carries on like a mad person at this point. So... Um, does it matter if an insane person is Jewish or not? I don't know. So the argument uh, for the Russian move into Ukraine, well, there are actually a number of them, of course, uh, and one of them was, was Putin's ultimatum was utterly ignored. Uh, his ultimatum saying, we've got to stop this eastward expansion of NATO. We need to sit down and have some uh, fair-minded negotiations as adults and deal with these Russian security issues. And then the West just thumbed their nose at him. But then the, the other issues were that they, they actually parallel the ostensible U.S. reasons for going into Iraq. There really was apparently a WMD problem for Russia over in Ukraine. Um, maybe at least a couple of dozen Pentagon bioweapons labs, which Victoria Nuland just confirmed. And then, as you said, there was this nuclear saber rattling 
coming from the leadership of Ukraine that seem, may have pushed Russia over the edge. Uh, so what's your thought on the relative importance of these uh, reasons for the Russian action in Ukraine? Well, the Russian action in Ukraine was there was no choice at all on the Russian side, but to to start this action. Um, first of all, um, it, it's not like uh, the Europeans thumped their no thumped their nose at at, uh, at at Russia. It it's that the Europeans, NATO, and the U.S. Uh, refused to abide by written agreements they had signed for collective security. Mm-hmm. And they also the refused Minsk to Accords, abide by oral, but, but no, not Minsk Accords, but various other Astana Accords, for instance, okay. for collective security. That uh, uh, it's, it's fairly technical, but basically uh, uh, eastward expansion of NATO has completely uh, trashed those agreements. Um, and... and, and uh, and, and so, uh, and, and the other thing is that there was a, a, an oral agreement, not an inch eastward on, on NATO expansion that wasn't enshrined in a document, but it was stated and protocoled and generally agreed upon that it took place. So that is still violation of, of uh, what amounts to a contract, breach of contract. Mm-hmm. And, well, and well so the Native Russia, Americans know that you need to get stuff in writing from Washington. Well, uh, there's a big difference between Native Americans and Russians, and, and that is that if, if, you, if you behave that way towards Russians, they will break your teeth, mm-hmm. absolutely guaranteed. And Americans should keep that in mind. And that's kind of what's happening now, um, that we're at that stage. Uh, um, but they had no choice to, but to attack the Ukraine because uh, the Ukrainian uh, army goaded on by NATO uh, massed on the border of the Donbass region, which has been de facto independent for eight years, but constantly shelled, uh, its civilian districts constantly shelled by the Ukrainian army. Uh, they massed all of these people there and were poised to attack. And the Russians intervened a few days, maybe a week before there would, would have been hundreds of thousands of civilians dead. This is basically Ukraine waging war on its own people. So there are a couple of other things to add to that. One is that there is no border, no agreed upon border between the Ukraine and Russia because that was based on an agreement on friendship and cooperation, which President Poroshenko of the Ukraine refused to renew. When he did that without realizing it, he basically erased the border between Russia and the Ukraine, uh, legally speaking. Um, And the other thing is that the Ukraine, given how it's treated its own people, shelling them with artillery for eight years, basically meant that it no longer had any protection of national sovereignty under international law. A government that refuses to, uh, to provide for basic human rights of its residents, the right to life, um, is, is no longer a sovereign state no longer has the protections of sovereignty. So add to that the fact that uh, the Ukrainian president at the Munich Security uh, Conference uh, proposed or promised to make dirty nukes and throw them at Russia using uh, high-level nuclear waste from nuclear reactors in the Ukraine and old ballistic rockets left over from the Soviet era. 
So that violated nuclear non-proliferation treaty and he didn't get any pushback on it. Everybody just sort of hung back at the conference, all of these people that were, were gathered there. And then the latest bombshell, which people knew all along, but now there's proof uh, and there's Victoria Newland on the congressional record admitting it. Uh, there were uh, American bioterror labs functioning within the Ukraine close to the Russian border that were trying to create pathogens that would specifically target the Slavic population and would be carried by migratory birds. They also played around with bats. Um, and so these were basically incipient war crimes. So Russia had to put a stop to that. Uh, if the Russian leadership failed to stop that, that would be an act of treason on their part. Mm -hmm. so, th so there really was a serious WMD rationale, both a nuclear threat and, and then these biological labs. And I think the context of the biological threat is very important, given that we've just lived through two years of a pandemic that appears to have been caused by a bioweapon, with the theory that seems most plausible to me being the Ron Unz theory that it looks like it was a U.S. attack on China and Iran. Um, and given that, I can understand why Russia would be uh, sensitive about these U.S. bioweapons labs ringing their borders. And I also, I wonder why the um, leaders of the international community aren't more concerned about this uh, as a long-term threat to the whole human species. You know, if we're moving into an era, era of endemic biowarfare, that obviously doesn't bode well. Have, have you looked into these uh, interpretations of where COVID came from and then the, the, the problem of, of biowarfare? Um, yes, and, and basically Americans have to come clean and give up their war criminals who are responsible for this. Um, otherwise, it's an indictment of the entire American system. Um, and uh, there, it's not going to go along for much, for, for much longer, uh, given that the United States exists at the mercy of its uh, creditors at this point and right. uh, can't go on without them. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, the neoconservatives who uh, in their, their famous manifesto, Rebuilding America's Defenses, issued in September 2000, uh, not only called for a new Pearl Harbor, which became 9-11 one year later, but they also uh, said that they look forward to the day that biological weapons uh, could become race specific and then become a quote unquote politically useful tool. Um, and these neocons who were behind the 9-11 wars, which were a total fiasco, uh, crushing U.S. defeats in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, seemed they, instead of being fired or better yet hanged for war crimes, they all got promoted and they got put in charge of, of a Ukraine dossier. And so we've got this neocon run uh, Ukraine policy. Uh, how does that work? <laughs> well, I don't it's, the nexus it. of, it's the nexus of evil and stupid. Um, you ignore them long enough, and then, but it, then eventually you have to sort of mop the floor with them, which is what Russia is doing now. Uh, right now, Russia is sort of working through the sanctions that were imposed on it and biding its time and, and taking advantage of them. Uh, all of these Western companies that left Russia have left their intellectual property behind to be used free of charge. All of, the, all of those patents and all of, the, all of that intellectual property is now free to the Russians. All of those market niches are freed up so Russian manufacturers can move in and, and do it. So no longer do they have to uh, uh, buy imported 
uh, replacement parts for their cars. They can just 3D print whatever they need. Um, you know, that, those, those are wonderful things, wonderful side effects, but eventually they'll work through that and they will go on counter, counter offensive. And that's where things get really interesting because without uh, Russian energy and fertilizer and nuclear fuel exports, the United States and Europe will freeze in the dark, will freeze and starve in the dark. Hmm. So the that's about as clearly as I right. could put it. Right. So so there's that, uh, and then there's also the currency situation, where the uh, the petrodollar hegemony uh, looks like its days are are not just numbered, but uh, the number is is getting smaller as we speak. Uh, so uh, how fast do you expect these geopolitical ramifications to uh, unravel, and uh, and then what will how, how will the empire respond to this? As you say, uh, freezing in the dark is obviously not something they're going to accept. And then the destruction of the petrodollar as a global hegemonic currency will basically end their empire. They won't be able to pay for the 800 military bases all over the globe anymore. Uh, so uh, what, what's, the, what's their next move to try to defend this crumbling ex- empire? Well, we're, we're living through this, you know, wild E. Coyote hanging over the edge of the cliff moment. But, you know, while he still doesn't know that there isn't any ground there under his feet, the American empire is over. Uh, the action in the Ukraine has has proved that basically what uh, what Russia is doing now is a, a, a kind of policing exercise being carried out by a very small force and, and being done very kind of carefully and, and gently. They're, they're doing their best not to not to disrupt any of the infrastructure, not to hurt any civilians. Uh, it, it's a bit of a problem that all of these Nazis are hiding amongst the civilians, uh, basically using them as human shields and refusing to let them go, refusing to, to let people evacuate. Um, that's slowing things down, but that, that'll, that'll be worked out in due course. But basically, you know, the Ukraine is a very large country. It was uh, part of the Soviet Union. And uh, so it had a really good army, much better than the US army, for instance, much more able to fight. And yet it has folded in a matter of a, a little over a week. It is, it is at this point virtually non-existent. And then various other exercises that have been pulled like uh, organizing a Ukrainian foreign legion, you know, all of these mercenaries from, um, from Western Europe have rushed to Ukraine's aid through Poland. And uh, yesterday they were all uh, kind of grouped together, about 200 of them. This was the first party of them. Uh, it was supposed to be thousands of them eventually, but they, in, Western, uh, in Western Ukraine, they were hanging out at some compound together with all of their imported uh, uh, weapons that uh, NATO was kind enough to provide and, and having their, their little rally. And then in come uh, a, a handful of Russian cruise missile missiles and kill all but 20 of them and destroy all of their weaponry. Mm-hmm. And then the 20 survivors um, hightail it back to Poland and swear to never go to the Ukraine again. So that's the end of the Ukrainian Foreign Legion. And we should expect developments like that 
to happen fast and furious from then on, from now on. Uh, Ukraine is basically being swept clean. Um, another thing that's happening there is that um, now that it has become clear that the Ukraine is infested by US supported terrorists, uh, various victims of US supported terrorism in the world, such as the good people of Syria, have volunteered to come in and help. The Chechens uh, have also volunteered to come in and help. And you have to keep in mind that there's a, a million uh, Syrians, many of them men of military service age in Germany that would also like to join the fray. So there will be no shortage of uh, US supported terrorist killers on the ground in the Ukraine in, in a little while. And they'll just basically sweep the place clean. And, and these people who Donald Rumsfeld would have called dead enders are going to be dead. And I wonder how the Western media propaganda machine is going to deal with this. Um, maybe they'll change the subject to a new pandemic or who knows what they'll come up with. But uh, we are living in a propaganda bubble that's going to get popped. I, I totally agree. Well, we've hit the end of the half hour. So thank you, Dmitry Orlov. I appreciate your ongoing uh, fantastic work and uh, your prescient warnings that maybe it's time to get out. Uh, it's, uh, I hate to admit I've, I've ignored those up until now. But I'm I'm starting to wonder. <laughs> so uh, I think you're, you're you've been ahead of your time in many ways. Hopefully not in that one. So th- thanks so much. Keep up the good work. God bless, and look forward to Thank another you. one. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Welcome to Truth Jihad Radio. Kevin Barrett waging the all-out struggle for truth on the internet airwaves since 2006. And we are cursed to live in interesting times. Let's talk about the interesting times right now with one of my uh, many guests who bring perspectives that most folks are never going to hear in the mainstream media. Uh, Today, the guest is Nahed Al-Husseini. She's the Veterans Today Damascus Bureau Chief and a member of the American Institute for Middle East Strategic Studies and an assistant director of the Arab American and Muslim Congress in Detroit. She has a, a diploma in English literature from Damascus University, so we share that. I have no, a no, master's no. degree in English literature as well. So, hey, no, welcome, no, no, Nahid. No, no, dear. I, I do have a doctorate. I am Dr. Nahid Al-Husseini. I mean, I said Do- uh, diploma. Okay. I, have a, I have a PhD, so if you correct what you're talking about. I yeah. have a PhD and I have a diploma. In England, I have a diploma in English language. And I have a PhD in international kind uh, international relations and uh, diplomacy and media theory. Excellent. Well, uh, we should we should so, update so your uh, your veterans today profile. Just then. a PhD. She has a PhD in media and uh, international relations. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well. Well, we yeah. have uh, similar interests and backgrounds then. Um, along yeah, with... we do. Yeah. We... <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I yeah, actually yeah, have a journalism. Yeah. And the police say that I work for. Mm-hmm. I am the bureau chief of Veterans Today. This is the most important thing for me right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Veterans Today for the Middle East and Arab American Congress. Just focus on those two things right now, because Arab American Congress, my 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 boss in the Arab American Congress right now is in Moscow, and he was in, in touch with me. Very interesting. Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about your uh, experience of the the war in Syria and the Russian intervention in that war 
I think was a major step towards uh, this world that we're now in of a fully multipolar world where the U.S. unipolar power uh, cannot intimidate the entire world into obeying orders. Um, So uh, briefly, uh, maybe you could begin by relating uh, your your take on and and experience of uh, the war in Syria. I mean, I'm really thankful to the Russian role in Syria, dear. Without the Russian uh, role, the jihadists were very close, very close, to take over Damascus. So nobody can deny the constructive role played by Russia. And uh, I don't think what's happened in Syria has some anything to do with Ukraine. Ukraine is a different issue altogether. Putin does not take orders from anybody there. And I think you know that. I mean, if I want to talk about the cabal, I mean, they want to dictate everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. And this, yeah, I want to use the word cabal or shadow government, Okay. Let me talk uh, in those terms. So you're talking about the U.S.-based deep state, or is this a more um, uh, multinational, uh, globalist deep state? I'm talking about the globalist deep state there. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm calling it. And, and who, who is that? Uh, the, the globalist deep state is the Bilderberg there. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I say cabal, I mean the globalist state. And uh, Putin, who has a very deep Christian faith, okay, he's anti what the global deep state is doing right now. The guy... I don't think the guy has made a mistake there. The guy is defending his own national security. He has told the United States many times that do not provoke us. Do not send NATO to our border. Do not allow Ukraine to be a member of the NATO. He doesn't care about the European Union. He's focusing on the NATO there. But all his calls were not given, went and heeded, and were not given any attention. So the guy had no choice. Mm-hmm. Honestly, he had no choice but to fight back. Yeah. I'm not defending Putin here. I, 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 I want you, but I, I'm defending what is right and what is wrong in this term. So to what extent does uh, Putin uh, and his associates uh, who are together making these decisions. Do, are, are they the, the, the main power in Russia? And do you think this war will consolidate their power in Russia? Or uh, there's also, of course, the, the power of various oligarchs um, and uh, that there's an internal power struggle in Russia as well. And, and there how is do you no see that? internal struggle in... in uh, if you are talking about uh, internal struggle in Russia, there is no... Well, maybe not a struggle, power. but a configuration of... Uh, of a power groups. struggle. You are talking about... Yeah. yeah, yeah, I heard this about power struggle in Russia here. No, 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 no. I, I, I don't think so. I am in contact with Russia here. 
And uh, I think the people are rallying behind their president. Maybe there are some oligarchs, yeah, those uh, tycoons guys. I mean, maybe, maybe they are against Putin, but because this will affect their own uh, financial interests and uh, benefits. But the people really rally behind their president, and they know that he was rightful about taking such a decision. Mm-hmm. I am in, in constant uh, communication with Russia here on everyday basis. Okay. I know what's happening and, there. And, and you've been hearing interesting things uh, about the U.S.-sponsored biological warfare s- facilities in Ukraine, which were supposedly, you know, they, they were denied. Uh, the mainstream media and the U.S. government have been denying the existence of these facilities right up until a few days ago when Victoria Newland blurted out mm. their existence mm. <laughs> under oath in front of Congress. Well, okay. So, so what, 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 what are you hearing about that? Well, I'm hearing that the Russians have more evidence about this and they're going to release it in the right time. And uh, the Russians are saying that uh, these weapons are uh, for changing genes. And they have evidence. And uh, incontroversial evidence. But they don't want to release all the documents right now. They are waiting a bit here to see how things will unfold. So when you say changing genes, uh, yeah. what, what, that's some sort of a, a virus that actually alters people's DNA somehow? Well, I think it's more than that here. It's more than that. It's much more than that. So uh, this is what I heard. It has to do with the genetics, the change of genetics. Well, Putin warned about uh, this biological warfare research that Americans and their lackeys were doing in in Russia and surrounding countries, looking for Slavic DNA, collecting Slavic DNA. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. we're talking about the development of, of ethnic specific biological weapons. And of course, Project for a New American Century in their document, Rebuilding America's Defenses, which was published uh, almost exactly one year before the September 11th, 2001 false flag inside job. Uh, and that's the mm-hmm. same notorious document that called for a new Pearl Harbor. Uh, in that document, Project for a New American Century also said, that they look forward to genetic-specific uh, uh, biological weapons becoming, quote-unquote, a politically useful tool. Um, so it would seem that the Russian warnings against uh, the U.S. biowar programs uh, are uh, quite reasonable. Yeah, they are quite reasonable. You know why? Because they have started with the Slavic, and the, the, the aim is very well known here. They want to destroy Russia, right? Mm. They want to destroy this particular race. It's very clear what they are doing. It doesn't take two to uh, figure out what the hell they are doing. So, so why do they want to destroy Russia? There's sort of the, the main theory that I've heard is that they, it's a geopolitical issue. Uh, yeah. they're, they're trying to maintain control over Eurasia with all of its wealth of resources and population. And uh, Russia is just too big and they will profit more by breaking it up and destroying it so they can loot its resources at cheaper prices. That's one theory. The second theory is that there are Khazar-descended uh, Jews who hate Russians, and the, the feeling is mutual, and so there's some kind of special animosity uh, among Ashkenazi Jews, especially those in the high ranks of the uh, American administrations, people like uh, like Victoria Newland or Kagan, 
and that so these people just hate Russians, and that adds to their desire to destroy Russia. So, which of these these two uh, motives do you think is is the most important? Well, I don't think the resources there. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I as you said, <laughs> Russia is a very very big state, and is very rich with uh, all the resources, water resources, mineral resources. They have everything here. They have everything, and they want to break up Russia. And they want to go back to the uh, days of the uh, Soviet Union there. And they want to control Russia. This is the game. But but wait a minute. The Soviet Union was not controlled and its resources were not uh, easily available for looting. It was after the Soviet Union was destroyed. This is what I'm talking about. After the Soviet Union. Oh, okay. You're talking about the the, uh, the 90s. I'm saying back to the Cold War. Yeah. Post-Cold War. Post-Cold War. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, uh, that's right. It seems that they've never forgiven Putin for uh, fixing Yeltsin's mistakes and trying to build a stronger uh, Russian state that would take care of its own people. And that actually, there's a parallel there, isn't there, with the Middle East, because the the same people, these neocon Americans who are trying to destroy Russia to loot its resources and break it up into little pieces, also seem to have the plan, same plan for the Middle East, according to the Oded Yunon plan, to break up Middle Eastern countries into small pieces so they the can Oded. be more easily looted. I wrote about this in the Veterans Today, and you can ask Gordon Dove. I wrote about this long time ago. Right. They want to break up every state, every state there. This is a global. This is a global plan. I wrote about this long time ago. Mm-hmm. So, so do you think that these kind of globalist oligarchs uh, think that they can rule the world more efficiently if they get rid of large, coherent states? Uh, are, are they going trying to break up all states, or are they using strong state power that they control in uh, the U.S. and the West? Uh, in order to use that power then to break up targeted states. Uh, so that's like, my question would be, uh, I, there are people who think that these same oligarchs want mm-hmm. to break up the United States as well. Uh, yes. Do you think that's true? Yes. But you have to ask yourself this very important question. Who has an interest to break up the United States here? Can you give me an answer? Well, uh, I would think that the the usual suspects, these globalist oligarchs, would not want to break up the United States until they had used its power to accomplish their objectives elsewhere. Mm-hmm. What, but what do you think? Yeah, exactly. It has... Uh, once the United States achieved all its goals... Then they will start this plan. Mm-hmm. They, then they will start breaking up the United States. I mean, but uh, the, the same people we are talking about, the globalist deep state. And if I want to specify, I will say the Jews, they have this interest to okay. break up. Do you know why? Uh, no, and, pl- and also also explain about- explain what you mean by the Jews. Are you talking about a particular uh, specific cabal uh, of wealthy yeah, yeah, Jews? The cabal. Yeah. yeah, okay. No, no, no. I'm not talking about ordinary Jews. I'm talking about the cabal. Do you know why? I mean, if you if you study Torah, mm-hmm. if you study uh, the re- religious text in Torah, in Talmud, what do they say there? Israel must prevail. Must prevail. And they talk about the fight of roosters 
What does that mean here? What does that mean? If I'm talking in terms of religion, end of time would not happen before this fight takes place. And Israel must prevail as the only superpower. So these people, or these guys, I don't know what uh, should I call them, the people, guys, uh, I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a name for them right now. But, the evil thinker, okay? They want to destroy the whole world, and they want to prevail and rule. Mm-hmm. Well, they have their own kingdom. So, so that you're talking about uh, a kind of Jewish or maybe post-Jewish messianic millenarian thought uh, that, that you know, the Jews have been looking forward to the coming of their Messiah and the return yeah. to Palestine uh, for thousands of years. And their Messiah is viewed as a military conqueror who would uh, subjugate the entire world to Messiah Jewish power. What are we talking about here, dear? Are we talking about Messiah, Jesus Christ, or the Antichrist? Right. Well, the people who call themselves Jews are, by definition, the people who reject uh, Jesus as the Messiah. Exactly. Thank you very much. Right. Exactly. But they say Christ. It's not Christ. It's Antichrist here. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you think of uh, the the idea that the Sabbateans uh, are kind of uh, post-Jewish Satanists, followers of Shabtai Zvi, who led a, an earlier Zionist return to the Holy Land and then was uh, arrested by the Ottoman Caliph, and he became a crypto-Muslim, and his followers became the Danme uh, Jews who pretend to be Muslims. They're crypto-Muslims, largely b- based on Salonika, and they were the heart of the Young Turks' power uh, in taking over Turkey, uh, it, trying to obliterate Islam in Turkey. And some say that they also are involved with the Ibn Saud family, uh, are, uh, do, you, do you think that there's a Sabbatean kind of connection here? Yeah, yeah, there is a Sabbatean kind of connection here, of course, mm-hmm. of course. And at the same time, if you ask me about the Turks, I don't, I don't consider Turks as Muslim here. Mm-hmm. Different bl- all Turks are bl- <laughs> uh, no, 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 different brand of Islam. Just uh, mm-hmm. forget it, dear. Oh, that's yeah, interesting because I, I actually did a, a a month-long speaking tour of Turkey about a decade ago with a Turkish group uh, called Yeni Asya, which is one of several Turkish groups, not all of them particularly admirable, uh, that in, were inspired by the great Turkish Muslim reformer Bediüzzaman Said Nursi, who actually stood up against the attempted genocide, a, a cultural genocide against Islam in Turkey by the forces of, of Ataturk and the uh, Young Turks and the, the Danme uh, crypto-Jewish Satanists. So, in any case, mm-hmm. my sense was that there are a lot of quite serious Muslims in Turkey, um, and they seem like very competent people as well. So I wouldn't write off all Turks, um, but it does seem that the Turkish state has been largely infested with these Danme and uh, you know ultra-secularist anti-Muslim forces for a century or so. No, and the Turkish state is Masonic here. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's Freemason. Mm-hmm. Okay? This is short to the point. Mm-hmm. That's it. They have their own Islam there. Mm-hmm. So what, what about, yeah, the Freemasonic free uh, infiltration of uh, both the Christian and Muslim worlds is a very interesting topic. Uh, I don't know to what extent that leads us back to Putin being, uh, as you say, a kind of a Christian revivalist. But... Uh, there, uh, there are a lot of people who believe that, uh, Freemasonic groups have gotten, uh, 
a lot of power in the Vatican, uh, have made tremendous progress in pushing back religion in the Christian world, and have also infiltrated high places in the Islamic world as well, and that indeed the, the Freemasonic groups are in the forefront of, of those pushing for this kind of world oligarchical takeover and world government that you're talking about. Uh, are they the same thing as the Zionist, uh, millenarian, messianic crowd? In other words, do the Freemasons and the Zionists both agree? No, 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 no. It's the same, dude. It's, it's the same. same. Okay, it's so the they, bo- they both want to put put their Messiah on the throne in, in Jerusalem al-Quds. Yeah, yeah, they are talking about Messiah. I mean, the Jews are talking about Messiah. And these guys, uh, the oligarch, uh, Zionist oligarch, the Freemason oligarch, they are talking about Messiah. Yeah, that's because this Messiah, I mean, they are, they are talking about, which is different from our Messiah in Islam and different from the Messiah Putin is talking about. They serve their own purposes. They are waiting for him. They are waiting for him to come now. I mean, the Antichrist, I call him the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. It's not the Christ, the, 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 the true Jesus. You know? I mean, the, mm-hmm. this. It is there, there, Jesus, there. Right. Well, well, Muslims and Christians agree that Jesus is the true Messiah, correct? Of course. Yes. Of course. Yes. We have no doubt in, in our mind uh, at all. At the end of the time with our Imam Al-Mahdi, he will be together with Al-Mahdi. Mm-hmm. Yes, he will descend and he will be descending in Damascus. There. And have you seen the work of Sheikh Imran Hussein? Who's the, yes. Yes. Do you, do you agree I with follow, his perspective? Of course, I support him 100%. This guy is Pakistani, and uh, uh, I know, I don't know him personally, but I know of him a lot. Mm -hmm. This guy is highly, highly knowledgeable and highly educated. Yes, I I did, I've been lucky enough to get a chance to study with him for a month in Malaysia a few years ago. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I I think um, he's, he's, he's right. And in terms of the specifics, it's you know it's sometimes hard to to know about the details, but in terms of the larger picture, uh, his mm-hmm. eschatology is really the only one that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Please follow him. He's very good. And if you can interview him uh, and reach out to him, please do. Oh yes, I, I have. I've interviewed him uh, several times, and uh, he's yeah. quite uh, pessimistic about the chances of emerging from this kind of situation that we're in right now without a lot of suffering and destruction. Uh, when I first mm-hmm. met him in person at a conference in Tehran uh, about 10 years ago, or maybe eight, eight or nine years ago, uh, he was shaken by a dream he had just had the night before. And that was his first dream where he uh, got this sort of inspiration or uh, insight that the Melhama or the, the Great War is coming sooner than he had thought or hoped. And now, as we look at the headlines about what's happening in Ukraine, it seems that this kind of great war, which he expects would kill the majority of humanity and which has been foretold in the scriptures, seems to be much closer than ever. Uh, he's been telling yeah, people, to, yeah, he's been telling yeah, us to, to leave the cities and go found Muslim villages out in the middle of nowhere in order to survive this great war that's coming. Are you talking about the Armageddon? Yes, yeah, it's Armageddon is the word that we've used, we use in English and in, in, uh, from Arabic, there's the Malhama, which comes from these, uh, prophecies. Yeah, of the Armageddon, yes, I wrote something about it too in reference to David because Putin was talking about it long time ago. Right. Well, Putin knows a lot of these prophecies there. He studied, he's well read, he studied 
all prophecies in Islam, in Christianity, and in Judaism. He knows everything here. Mm-hmm. And and how how about the role of the Fatima apparitions? It's occurred to me that it may be no coincidence that the apparition of the Virgin Mary, uh, peace and blessings on her and her son, appeared in Fatima, Portugal, a town that's named after Fatima, the daughter of the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, that almost would seem to be a kind of a sign that there's uh, some possibility for bringing uh, Christians and Muslims together around their shared reverence for uh, for Mary and her son, Jesus. And that uh, might be especially relevant in if you know in these end times because these visions uh, of these children who saw the Virgin Mary at Fatima, Portugal, were uh, related to Russia and presumably the sort of death and rebirth of uh, of religion Christianity in in Russia. And so I'm I'm uh, I'm wondering if you have, if you have any thoughts about that and, and Sheikh Imran Hussein's efforts to uh, bring uh, Muslims and Christians together in the knowledge that we're in the end times and that we actually are both, you know, we're all worshiping the same God and we all recognize the Messiah of Jesus. Exactly, exactly. We are worshiping the same God. And this was going to happen at the end of time, dear. Christians and Muslims will come together. I'm, I'm talking about true Christians, true, true, true Christians and Muslims will come together and they 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 will be uh, working together as well, or fighting together against the evil. This is what I know. Mm-hmm. What is evil? They will be fighting together against what is evil. Well, you say you say Putin is uh, is a devout Christian who's trying to bring Christianity back to Russia, but if so, he's he's rather subtle about it or he he doesn't seem to speak forcefully in, no, in that doesn't. role so why is that oh he doesn't he doesn't talk much this guy dear he's an intelligence well he doesn't talk much dear <laughs> <laughs> but he <laughs> intelligence uh, guys do not talk much they are silent most of the time but he he does a lot <laughs> hmm. instead of talking a lot he does a lot Mm-hmm. And and now we see this unprecedented demonization of him in the Western yeah. media. Uh, yeah. That's it, in in a way, it's almost reached the point where I feel like I can sort of sense uh, what's what, and you know where the the truth is and where where goodness is by looking at the Western media and whatever they like uh, is probably evil. <laughs> whatever they I hate they is probably good. I think they made a big mistake by demonizing this guy there. They opened the door to war. And it's a big it's a big mistake to demonize Putin. They know who Putin is there. Mm-hmm. They are either they are stupid, ignorant or they don't know who Putin is, but I think they know who Putin is, but they they were trying to call his bluff, but you cannot call the bluff of this guy. This guy, you know that he is uh, you know, uh, he's a governor of uh, a nuclear country. So uh, how can you make this mistake? How can you make this mistake? And uh, and, and then what, what uh, actually uh, attracts my attention is saying that Russia is not um, a superpower. 
<laughs> I heard this many times in the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they like to say that. Party. They said it's yeah. a regional power. Dear. Regional right. Power. Right. Interesting, yeah. huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, they. I think they. There's a lot of wishful thinking in these characterizations, but I think they're accurate in recognizing Putin as an obstacle to their plans for this kind of oligarchical world government that you've talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He is an obstacle. Mm-hmm. This is right. He's an obstacle. Like, and he's and, and I, I've read all his statements, and uh, he he says in one of those statements, they are dragging us to this war. We do not want this war, but they are dragging us to this war, and we have no choice. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have to agree. Well, we're pretty much at the end of the half hour, um, Nahad, but I would love to have you back some other time because there, there are so many topics to cover here. Um, but at this point, uh, we've, we've finished our half hour segment. So thank you. I uh, appreciate yep. your insights. And I... Uh, as you know, as we kind of figured out before, we tend to agree on a lot of this. Yeah, we tend to agree on a lot of subjects there, a lot right. of topics. So, so uh, maybe I'll have to follow the advice of our mutual friend Arnaud de Velay and try to bring on somebody who disagrees with us uh, <laughs> just mm-hmm. to stir something up, uh, make it interesting for the audience. But hopefully they'll, they'll find no. these ideas that we've aired interesting yeah, enough. Bring, we bring somebody who is uh, of different opinions so we will not, the people will not say that we are uh, consp- uh, con- uh, like uh, conspiracy theorists or something. <laughs> well, I, I think I've passed the point where I can deny uh, or I can stop anybody from calling me a conspiracy theorist. That's, <laughs> that's become, they stuck that tag on me 15, 20 years ago and it's, it's exactly. impossible exactly. to get rid of. <laughs> Thank you very much. Please <laughs> Thank you.